In a time where startups are booming and entrepreneurship is at a peak, we have a service that will help elevate any business. Univercole provides graphic design services that can take your business to the next level. These services include customized logos, business cards, brochures, flyers, and documents such as letterhead to help you distinguish your brand identity. We know a lot of you are like our founder, Justin, and are starting your businesses from scratch. So we also offer brand identity packages that can include your logo design, business cards, a digital promotional flyer, customized documents, announcements, and more. We understand what it's like to start from scratch and can meet you where you are in your business. Email info at univercole.design, U-N-I-V-E-R-C-O-L-E, for a consultation and view the Univercole portfolio on Instagram and Facebook at Univercole, U-N-I-V-E-R-C-O-L-E. And now back to the Cole Logic Podcast. What up, what up, what up? You're now tuned in to another CoLogic experience. Trying to get this live stream thing right, you guys. You guys see? Y'all seeing the progress. Y'all made it this far. Y'all should be seeing the progress. Um, if you're listening on the YouTube, Go check out my podcast. It's still the Cold Logic experience on all DSPs. I, I will not all of them, but all of them the anchor facilitates to Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, all the important ones. Um you can see the cash out scrolling down if you appreciate me uh taking my time out to read this because I would have appreciated somebody doing that for me you feel me um, oh, I sound pretty good I sound pretty good I was checking out the, the tubulars tubulars I'm gonna give myself a comment I'm also doing a preview. I'm seeing the new features because they had got some new features. You can favor the comment. Oh, oh, you can favorite it from here. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout out to Ecamm Live. But anyway, you're now tuned into another CoLogic experience. Like I said, if you listen to the uh, from the podcast, it's probably delayed. Um, but that's fine. If you listen to the YouTube, you're listening right now live. Obviously, I can see the viewer count. It ain't nobody but me on here right now, but that's fine. 
I'm sure as we grow, more people will be tuning in or checking out the later versions. Um, with that being said, we are back in here with another Black Woman's Guide to Understanding the Black Man. Another Kolaji book share by the Queen. Shaharazad Ali. Shout out to the Queen. That's how you spell it if you're confused. Uh, all this information is in the uh, is in the description. Also, where you can purchase it on Amazon. You can also be so kind to uh, try to do it on eBay. Search for it on eBay. All the information is in the description. Um, she said that because she prefers it on uh, eBay, Amazon. Uh, it's a little shifty with they delivering her books in particular. Um, so yeah, go on, go on eBay. A, I can attest to that actually because my the other book, if y'all heard me read the black man's guide to understanding a black woman uh you know that it's autographed because i didn't get my first copy from amazon and they said they sent it but that's neither here nor there we are in chapter one and of course chapter one starts off with the babyhood babyhood to puberty all right so we gonna take it there we gonna learn y'all about the black man because apparently nobody cares right now well not many people care if they do care they ain't speaking up loud enough you feel me but anyway chapter one babyhood and puberty let me get a sip of drink real quick <sighs> adult black man over the age of 40 have similar childhood backgrounds they remember their past somewhat fondly at times and whatever complaints they recall are seemingly small unpleasantries when compared to the horror reports and the wayward status of black male youth today okay mind you this, this book was originally written in 1992 and was updated in 2015 so i'm going to let y'all choose your discretion on whether she's talking about today as in 1992 or today is in 2015 let's go the majority of them were taught proper table manners how to behave in public respect their elders the importance of attending church and neatness household chores control of his mouth to be nice to girls to fight only if aggressed the value of education modest goals moral convictions obedience to parents reasons to reject alcohol and tobacco and why they shouldn't talk back as a small boy he played with ropes Chinese checkers, puzzles, cards, dominoes, marbles, bikes, scooters, blocks, kites, 
wagons, electric chains, balls, trucks, guns, and cowboy hats. That sounded about accurate. I played with all those things. Um, his make-believe heroes were Superman, G.I. Joe, the Long Ranger, and Tonto. That's a little old for me. The Cisco Kid. That's a little old for me. Batman, Zorro, Rory Rogers, and Davy Crockett, and Daniel Boone. I only remember Davy Crockett and Daniel Boone from those three. So, I'm not that old. Shows my age. He learned of them from comic books, television, and radio programs. He was aptly entertained by Howdy Doody and Pinky Lee. He read Snow White, Little Red Riding Hood, Goldilocks and the Three Bears, The Three Pigs, and a host of nursery rhymes like Hickory Dickory Dock, Little Miss Muppet, Humpty Dumpty, London Bridges, and Jack and Jill. That's about accurate. I grew up with that. Television shows him moving pictures of Superman, and he watched Father Knows Best. I didn't watch that. Ed Sullivan, too old for me. Ted Mack, Amateur Hour, way too old. Beat the Clock, I think I remember that. Uh, the Price is Right, we grew up on that. Queen for a Day, eh, don't remember that. Alfred Hitchcock, I remember the old folks listening, watching that. Roy Rogers and Dale Evans, nope. Topper and Perry Mason, I remember the old people watched that too. He heard other stories about Paul Bunyan and John Henry, we definitely grew up with that. Included in his visuals were other shows all featured brave, handsome, white male performers with glamorous female starlets. Mostly with long yellow, blonde flowing hair and sky blue eyes. He committed her features to memory and she was the first woman he drew a picture of in school. Mm. I gotta think about that but most likely probably he loved to go to the movie theaters to see gangster western or war flicks tarzan was wanna and king of the jungle every action every emotion attitude and moral judgment was demonstrated for him on the big screen and in black and white or color cinematography with every situation featuring Caucasians conducting their business and social affairs. Lana Torres, I'm sorry, Lana Turner, Doris Day, Dinah Shore, Marilyn Monroe, and Debbie Reynolds were just a few. Rock Hudson, Elvis Presley, Troy Donahue, and Clark Gable premiered as top male actors. If the black man saw himself on TV, it was as the cook, the waiter, shoeshine boy, dishwasher, baggage carrier, car washer, maid, or babysitter. Always, but but always in the employ of wealthy whites. He wasn't, if he wasn't sweeping the floor or running from ghosts, he was seen dancing a jig, grinning as wide as possible, and stretching his eyes to the limit to show the most white or making other facial contortions. 
designed to be funny and show him up as ignorantly playing the fool. Some played in big bands and grand alone with the music but never spoke. He may have had a rare opportunity to see a raisin in the sun, imitation of life. Rochester on the Jack Benny show, Amos and Andy and the Kingfish, Carmen Jones or Green Pastures or Step and Fetch It with Shirley Temple. He did not seem to wonder why he wasn't featured in key roles in the movies or on TV. TV was fairly new during his childhood and it was basically understood that white people were in charge of TV land. Then he was introduced to Uncle Remus and the Tar Baby, Buckwheat and Alfalfa, I definitely remember them, Little Black Sambo, Aunt Jemima on the Pancake Box, Uncle Ben's Rice, and a host of other mammy products from syrup to shortening. He was aware of many outside influences that did not look like him, but his life had structure and his community was in agreement on certain behavior codes and in-home values. In the South, the difference between him and other races were more pronounced and he was instructed to remind with the public sign, I'm sorry, and he was instructed and reminded with public signs that not only he was unalike but had to move about in the world carefully. One of the main reasons he was taught to read was so he did not accidentally go in the wrong door, drink the wrong public water fountain, or get caught in certain areas after sunset. His mother taught him to fear and be extra polite to whites as a way to protect himself, and she warned him of improper conduct especially around white women and little white girls he was taught to lower his eyes and never look them directly in the face to remove his hat when addressed by them and never walk too close behind beside or in front of them lest he be charged with being disrespectful there was a plenty that went with disrespecting a white woman so he must always keep his distance he was warned that even an accidental glance could cost him his life his parents and grandparents advised him to be friendly smile helpful and to do what he was told to do use good manners and be proud if whites recognized him or approved of his work he was educated in a mode of behavior to save his life he was eventually heard stories about what whites did to blacks if they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. But he was not bored because blacks had their own section of town and recreation outlets which they could freely frequent and which were sometimes visited by whites at will. But he was strictly forbidden from ever trying to patronize theirs. He learned to dance for whites. No matter where he lived, whenever it was time to have a party, they had fun. Fun. His father, if present, earned about a thousand to three thousand a year in income, although he usually never knew it. Provisions were made for him 
and he witnessed attempts to make sure he was not hungry. So other than owning a television set, there was little to compete with his family and, or their status in life. He was relatively comfortable in most cases and didn't realize for the most part if he was rich or poor since his black neighbors and friends all appeared to live the same way he did. Many of their guardians maintained single parent households. It was not that unusual at the time. If one of his friends lived with both his mother and father, he was revered as quite special. Many of their mothers had men friends who visited, stayed overnight, and lived with them periodically. He was taught to respect his mother's man and refer to him as Mr. So-and-so, and to make few demands of his stand-in father and he often knew little if anything about his own biological daddy. It wasn't discussed much in his presence and if the missing father showed up in town or in the neighborhood for a visit it was considered a big deal and something to brag about. He was somewhat stifled, stifled regarding questioning about his father. If he was told anything about it at all it was some flamboyant reputation attached to his father or he was given an overly negative historical account about how no good he was. He was routinely shipped, especially during summer, either to the north or down south to visit with relatives where the house rules were the same if he did something wrong, the whipping hurt just as bad. Often, he witnessed his mother fighting with or being beat up by one of her male friends. He got used to the stale smell of whiskey on Friday and Saturday nights. There was little he could do about it, but it made him dislike these unpredictable strange men who were too big for him to fight or defend his mother from. Many times this frustrated anger was directed and blamed on his AWOL father. He later learned to milk his mother's man for spending change or other minute benefits to forget what happened and to stay out of the way when he was visiting. He was also exposed to other elements in his community. The drunks, the slick haired, finely dressed numbered men, their runners, the fast, loose women reckoning his reckoning of heavy perfume, sorry, wigged down and tight dressed with luscious exploding bodies. Their holy rollers, piously dressed in all white or strict black suits. The impeccably dressed gamblers, the owners of flashy colored bulky cars, and the neighborhood retard or cripple. He knew a little about everybody's business just as they knew about his. Many of these images struck him as exciting and represented fun and freedom topped with money. He would listen hard when the grown-ups talked so he could learn about the fast light and community gossip. If he got caught listening, he would count on getting whooped in the mouth or sent outside out of the earshot. Even if he did not live around such characters, he heard about their existence and they were role models of a sort and helped him have good dreams of growing up and wearing fine clothes and being successful in street life. Cool without working hard. 
Much of the reality of life between men and women was kept from him. He learned certain things about sex and whispering conversations among his friends. Getting a kiss was considered a big thing. Grown-ups kept grown-up things out of the, his face private. As far as he knew, being a boy, when compared to being a girl, other than the fact that he need, had a weenie and she had a poontang, only meant that he had to do heavier chores around the house, take out the trash, run errands, carry large packages, stay out a little later, and he could travel further away from home on his bike or by foot. He didn't have as many clothes as the females around him and he could relieve himself any place he chose while the girls needed a pot, a room with a toilet and a door. He could, have, he could also play rougher games and contact sports. His home life became his routine. It ran smoothly enough and had dependable systems. He always saw his mother going to or coming from work, food shopping, cleaning house, paying bills, cooking, negotiating with store vendors, participating in church, praying on her knees at home, humming spirituals, picking out his clothes, arranging furniture, talking on the phone. And she was always still up when he went to bed and already up when he rose in the morning. He didn't quite understand how she did all this and he was, wasn't quite sure what he was supposed to do since it was visibly apparent to him that his mother took care of practically everything including all his needs. He knew he had, had to do what he was told by but other than playing, doing few ditties, going to school and having a few squabbles with his peers he didn't know what else to do. If he was really poor he learned early to be ashamed of his condition. He never liked being different because being different kept him from having certain things and feeling good about himself. The toys or games he wanted were usually attached to the value of them placed on him by others in his peer group. Many of their mothers were on welfare or some kind of public assistance, received a type of food step coupon and predictably ran out of money or food before the end of the month came. Welfare checks traditionally arrived on the first day of each month and always generated much activity and bustling excitement in the area. The checks amount varied from about $12 a month to about $200 a month depending on the number of dependent children in the household. North, South, East, or West. Because of strict stipulations set up by the government in order to qualify for welfare, he often confusingly witnessed his mother hide in an appliance, the telephone, a radio or TV set, a record player, etc., or any item the visiting generally white social worker might deem as an extra and reason enough to reduce or cut off the welfare support check. The worker's attitude was that if in if a family was on welfare, they were not to have anything considered a luxury other than food, basin clothing, and furnishings. And there were guidelines on that, even that. I'm sorry. And there were guidelines on even that. The furniture could be too fancy and the clothes couldn't be too fashionable. There was a distinct welfare look and when a family stopped looking like they were on welfare 
they were counseled out of the program. Sometimes his mother had to hide her man, maybe his father, outside the house, under the bed, or in the closet so the worker would not catch a man in the house. Word always spread like wildfire in his community if a worker was seen or rumored to be in the vicinity. His memories of the shame attached to the welfare poverty are not pretty. The most industrious one ran errands for neighbors or shop owners, carried groceries, swept steps, emptied trash, and, or sold newspapers to, pro to provide themselves with spending money. He was highly motivated to get his hands on some change and selling soda bottles was not out of the question for a two cent or three cent per bottle refunded. Earning enough money to buy an ice cream cone, some penny candy, or go to the movies was sufficient to boost his pride. Little discussion of his future or the kind of work he would do when he grew up occurred. If he lived with both his parents, things tended to be considerably better. They might have a car, go on real vacations, get dressed up every Sunday, attend modern school away from the neighborhood, get new clothes seasonably, visit the dentist or doctor, eat out in a restaurant, go to camp or go out of town often on the train or bus to participate in activities with other two-parent children. These parents made his life as comfortable as possible and he was programmed to achieve. He got a chance to learn from his father and his father's work. There were small lessons, but they helped him make social transitions to adult expressions of masculinity and responsibility. Some of the memories are connected to the particular whipping he got for doing something wrong. Unless he was brutalized, black men recall these memories fondly and make jokes about what happened. Sorry, give me some water. Let me get some water. In the two-parent household, he was more so indoctrinated with the idea that he was just as good as anybody else. He could do anything as long as he got good education and that he must grow up to be a credit to his race, make his parents proud. Under no, circumstance, uh, under no circumstances must he be prejudiced against his own kind, whites, or anyone else. His home life was positive as he was programmed with ideas about his future success. Little mention was ever made about the specialness of his being black and no information about his proud black heritage was imparted to him and no mention of slavery was ever made. He was told he was a Negro and other than his immediate family history, his ancient past was blurry and unfocused on any un unique roots or personal background. He was instructed to be a good American. In some homes, he received a vague explanation about whites disliking blacks because of their skin color, that they were just prejudiced against the colors. And every book he read from the first page to the last contained white children or white families with white neighbors. 
none of the books were about him. During his earliest childhood, he is exposed to other routine experiences. Each Christmas, he was taken out of town to go window shopping and sometimes permitted to take a snapshot picture sitting on the wondrous laps of Santa Claus, a mystical character who granted wishes for good little children on Christmas morning. Santa was always white in every picture or decoration. The black boy's eyes would light up in excitement mixed with little fear as he led through heavily adorned stores with twinkling lights, puffy white cotton, sparkling glitter evergreen trees with all sorts of candy canes and brightly wrapped gifts. They were silvery tinsels, tinkling bells, little white elves as census helpers and holiday songs playing over speakers and stores and on the streets. Decorating Christmas tree with glistening balls, angel hair that seemed to draw him into a, its maze and flashing coloring lights was the most beautiful sight he had ever seen. Even the poorest families had a Christmas tree and most of them had wreaths or lights in the windows. The black boy also saw little white children in white flowing gowns with white feathered wings on their backs with silver halo over their heads, hanging from the ceiling in stores, perched on lawns and windows and as stable centerpieces, as table centerpieces. He was also told that these lovely creatures were angels sent from heaven to celebrate the birth of Christ Jesus. Then, oh, the nativity scene featuring a docile looking, gently hooded, serene, pale skinned white woman identified to him as the saintly mother of Christ child. Next, there was a strong looking bearded white man whose name was Joseph, the father of baby Jesus. And of course, there was baby Jesus himself. Glistening white limbs, a divinely beautiful little white baby in a manger in a barn representing the king of kings sent to save the world. The three shepherds arrived on camels from the east with a huge star over the stable barn where Jesus had been born and wrapped in a swaddling clothes and laying in a bed of straw. This glorified, mysterious, dramatic story mesmerized his attention and hypnotized him into believing the story and to always honor the saintly family above all others. All others. He was taught that this was the real meaning of Christmas. Silent night, holy night. Santa Claus was like the icing on the cake, intermingled with the spiritual and religious connotations. Santa guaranteed that every parent would teach the Christmas story to their children. Faith and fun, what could be more innocent? Santa and his elves, a fat jolly old timer, also called Saint Nick, enjoyed a reputation of being the first always smiling, kind, and good doing white man the black boy had ever met. Santa, for many years, 
was all um i'm sorry santa for many years was allowed to take credit for gifts of happiness to him presents and toys purchased with hard-earned black dollars even going into debt was attributed to the beneficence and goodness of a jolly old white man in a red suit with a white beard who traveled in a sled that flew across the sky pulled by reindeer and led by Rudolph with a shiny blinking nose it was suggested to the black boy that if he put out cookies and milk that Santa would eat them during the visit after he tumbled down the chimney to put gifts under the tree for many years the black boy believed the story and by the time he was told or found out on his own that Santa was just a fairy tale made up to entertain him the black boy had spent many nights dreaming about Santa and swanning to the words of twas the night before Christmas he was very successful susceptible to imaginary heroes who treated him good every black boy in America was taught the same two aspects of Christmas Christ Jesus birth and Santa Claus being so impressionable he believed that people he trusted and trusted the people he believed in baby Jesus and Santa Claus and his mother who endorsed both them at another time of the year he was introduced to Valentine's Day and day he is told means love this love was best expressed with a red shaped symbol to replicate the heart which was sometimes pierced with an arrow looped across it or accompanied by one or two chubby little white babies called cherubs the cherubs had a tiny bow and arrow which they were able to shoot into the heart of couples to make them fall hopelessly in love with each other the heart became the idea of love he was never told about saint valentine and his parents didn't know either but all of them knew about cupid and his little bow and arrow spreading love and heart-shaped boxes of candy and pretty red and white greeting cards which disturbed on a miniature level among his closest school friends then there was saint patrick's day a day about a white saint and a day he was to wear something green to commemorate saint patrick along with saint patrick came a bunch of little elderly white midgets in green suits with pointed green hats and curled toe green slippers called leprechauns mischievous little fellows who played pranks on unknowing bystanders it had something to do with Ireland and the Irish people who celebrated their folklore with gutsy ales and other festivities. One of his favorite holidays was April Fool's Day. Few black parents knew how this holiday originated, but they did know that it was a day to play tricks on the friends and make jokes of some sort. And when the person falls for the act or information, the culprit calls out April Fool. A bit of lying and devilishment, all in the same in the name of fun. The black boy would run around the neighborhood, the house, the schoolyard yelling April Fool 
April Fool. After he played a successful trick on someone, how entertaining. George Washington, the first president, was the first. Sorry, sorry, sorry. George Washington, the first president, was the father of his country, and Betty Ross sold the first American flag. He knew about the cherry tree too. In the midst of these came Mother's Day and Father's Day. If his mother was allowed, he wore a red rose on his lapel. If she was dead, he wore a white one. Mm. Oh, I'm sorry. I said it aloud. I'm going to read that over. If his mother was alive, he wore a red rose on his lapel. If she was dead, he wore a white one. This procedure was repeated on Father's Day also, which never got as much attention as Mother's Day. Throwing in Groundhog's Day, Veterans Day, Labor Day, and May Day, the next major holiday he was taught was Thanksgiving. Blessed Thanksgiving decorated with colorful fall leaves and beautiful fruits and vegetables protruding out of the horn of plenty. Kind of like a basket shaped like a long funnel. Thanksgiving was explained to him as the day when a small group of friendly white settlers came to America and sponsored a big sit-down dinner for the native Indians and taught them how to bake bread, set a table, and eat pork. This represented the exchange of goodwill between the white and the Indians and their agreement to share cultures. with each other a multicultural festival this grew to include donating gifts of food for less for the less fortunate the first thanksgiving was described as a merger in a peaceful unification initiated by whites he was taught a great deal of detail of, give me a second y'all i gotta chill a little bit let me get back there we go. <clears throat> Excuse me. Mm. This grew in to include donating gifts of food for the less fortunate. Sorry, you probably hear all of this chair moving. The first Thanksgiving was described as a merger and a peaceful unification initiated by whites. He was taught a great deal of detail about the European pilgrims, but given only superficial notations on the Indians. Plus, he knew the Indians were not really good guys because in the movies, the Indians always wanted to fight and kill off the settlers, and he loudly cheered when he heard the familiar trumpet sounds of dumpty 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 dum. Dumpty Dumpty Dumptum Dumpty Tum Dumpty 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 Dum As the organized white troops charged into the kill the Indians and defend their fellow immigrants. He felt good every time a cavalryman slew an Indian and got him back. The black boy participated in school plays about the first Thanksgiving in school and wore pilgrim clothes and Indian feathers. His teachers didn't mind that he was left out of every story 
every holiday in every celebration or tradition or routine ritual recorded by Americans. After all, what's the difference could it make? The important issue was the celebration of the event itself and all the children should enjoy them and respect their country. The 4th of July was special to him because it signaled a picnic, nighttime fireworks, and celebrations at school. He would happily don his red, white, and blue hat he made in class and proudly wear his own hand-drawn American flag on his shoulder or shirt pocket. He And he could recite the Pledge of Allegiance of the United States with his little hand over his heart. He would swear with all his useful honesty that he would support his country and all it stood for, status quo unknowingly included. He was told to be proud of the day of the Declaration of Independence was signed. Of course, he didn't know what independence meant, and no detailed explanation followed from his teacher or parents. At home, the 4th of July took on a lesser patriotic meaning and featured barbecue pork ribs, hot dogs, burgers, potato salad, cakes, pies, baked beans, and maybe even homemade ice cream all eaten in the backyard, out front, or at the public park for a fun-filled picnic. He loved the firecrackers, the happy sparks of Twizzlers, and the fiery blasts of cherry bombs. The colorful parades with balloons and all were the most fun of all. On Easter, he knew he would probably get some new clothes, get dressed up, go to church, walk around downtown or at home showing off his new threads. He might attend a movie, go to a carnival or amusement park, take a long exploring bus ride with his past and eat a snack while out. He was taught in church and at school that Easter is the day that Jesus rose from the dead three days after he was killed on the cross the previous Friday, Good Friday. Jesus had been nailed to the cross through his hands and feet until he expired from blood loss and an unbearable pain. The black boy was shown in the books and read two out of the Bible about how Jesus wore a crown of thorns, was offered briny vinegar water to drink and suffered through it all with dignity and everlasting strength. The actual pictures of crucifixion draw or painted by European artists were shown to him at a very early stage and represented the first glory sight of a dead white man presented to him as reality. He saw white men killed in the movies but he knew they were just actors and not dead for real. He was told in his unselfishness I'm sorry, he was told that Jesus in his unselfishness died for his sins and those of the entire world. Easter was the first holiday in which the black boy learned more about religion and also was the first occasion that he got a chance to hear God speak. There were always TV Easter specials or movies at the theater depicting the death of Jesus. In the movies, God was always portrayed as having a big booming baritone voice that thundered from behind the clouds or sun. 
God always spoke to make vibrations in the air and cause fear every time he talked to earthlings. The big God in the sky also was invisible. He could recognize Jesus, Mary, Joseph, and the disciples by sight, but it was a mystery to him as to what God actually looked like. So he would recognize, so how would he recognize him? Church had taught him that Jesus really represented the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So they would all have to look alike. So Jesus. So they would all have to look alike. So Jesus, the slender white male with the pale brooding eyes, shoulder length thick brown dark hair and keen nose was also God thereafter whenever confronted with biblical photographs he was able to pick out God from the rest of the white people and he could even recognize him at the last supper portrait Jesus God had very distinctly different features from the other guests at the table he recognized Jesus on church fans, Bible school cards, calendars, wall hangings, and greeting cards, he became comfortable that he could recognize his savior. It had already been explained to him that he must not sin. Sin was described to him briefly as lying, cheating, stealing, and doing any kind of wrong. Drinking, using drugs, sassing, staying out all night, not saying his prayers, not going to church, or blink, or being plain disobedient meant going to hell. Hell, the place, contained every horrible imaginable. I'm sorry. The hell place contained every horror imaginable. It had everlasting scorching flames, fire that would never go out, a big boiling pot that would smoke all over the room. And this hell place was another white man in a red scuba diving suit with red horns on the top of his head. He had a long tall with an arrow. I mean, he was long and tall with an arrow at the end and a permanent evil scowl on his face. This devil was designed to scare him into doing right. He wanted to go, I'm sorry. This devil was designed to scare him into doing right, obeying the Lord and refraining from sin. Hell was not the place he wanted to go after he died. The stories about hell frightened him. The fact that hell was deep underground made him feel no better. And if it rained while the sun was shining, he was taught that this meant the devil was beating his wife. He had not previously been told that the devil was even married, but he believed it anyway. Okay, okay, okay. So let's check 
taking on something. She's taking on something. Simultaneously with teachings of Jesus' death, rising from the dead and floating slowly up into the sky, he was taught about Easter bunnies. They lay color hard-boiled eggs that came in cute little baskets with green straw and all sorts of chocolate and colorful goodies to eat. He knew nothing of, of the reproductive system of mammals and whatever he knew about chickens laying eggs was suspended because Easter bunnies was so much more fun. <laughs> he liked the new games of hiding the eggs and finding them. Dying them with bright colors, putting designs on them, and writing his name on them. And of course, he got to eat all he could hold. Candy chickens, jelly beans, marshmallow rabbits, mixed in with all the other special goodies hidden in his basket. Sometimes he even got his own stuffed bunny plaything. He saw real rabbits in books or in school but he didn't care if the bunny laid eggs or not. He enjoyed the goodies. The tooth fairy was a pretty good idea too. If he lost a tooth, he could put it under his pillow and in the morning he would have money in its place and the tooth would magically be gone. He grew to look forward to these yearly festivities and the symbols of myths surrounding each holiday which were reinforced in school in church and at home by his mother and sometimes father too. The pre predictability of them made him secure. Everybody knew about them, everybody celebrated them, and everybody liked them. What a comfort. At least life had some good points that he could look forward to every year and benefit from. Stories supporting these holidays were ingrained in him before he left kindergarten. Of course, he celebrated the major holidays at home even before he got to school. But school explained them in more detail and, was, and absorbed his participation on another level as a requirement. School expanded on the meaning and their value uh, to his development. School Suspend, supported this process by plastering pictures on the wall, on the blackboard, in the halls, windows, and cafeterias. He was prompted to draw a portion of each story about each holiday and then join in class celebration usually in the form of a party. His mother and his teacher stood as the main authority figures in his life. From kindergarten on, he was fed more and more details of these holidays so as to firmly implant them in his brain. Kindergarten means children's garden. A garden to grow the child's mind into certain fertile ideas for readiness to take steps toward adulthood and self-sufficiency. The black boy was surrounded with seeds of information alien to his history and lifestyle. These ideas were implanted in him at every, I mean, at a very early age. And he was abruptly weaned from any suggestion that might bloom into self-worth or self-value. His growth 
was non-political toward his own kind. He was bred to ignore his own presence on the earth. Prior to his formal education, several fictional persons, I'm sorry. Prior to his formal education, several other fictional personalities were introduced to him of skeptical value. If he got particularly out of hand, or if his mother or another adult taking care of him needed to control him after the threats of spanking he failed, had failed, they would evoke a few other monsters especially designed to make him behave. Now, give me one second. I'm gonna get a little bit more water because my throat is a little dry. Appreciate y'all for liking this. I'm gonna turn the music up a little bit. Hold up, hold up. Hold up, hold up. Hold up, hold up. Hold up, hold up. Can I talk? Can I talk to you? Can I talk to you? There you go. Mysterious man who scares, kidnaps, or kills bad little children. Oh wait, let me turn this down a little bit. Let me go back to where we were. There we go. There we go. Is that still too loud? I don't think so. I'm gonna turn it down a little bit more. All right. So that's the boogeyman. Number two is a ghost. A dead person who comes back from the dead to get him and do terrible harm by scaring him senseless. And three, the monster. A horrible type of creature with distorted features who could claw his skin or gobble him up if he was bad. All of the characters existed in the dark when the lights went out. They were all used when applicable to scare the black boy into behaving in a desired way. Although thought to be temporary in value and usage, this tactic was never quite forgotten by the black boy. Their existence was seemingly forgotten by the black boy. Their existence was seemingly validated on a holiday like Halloween when the witches and the goblins came out of somewhere to scare little children. Uh -oh. On 
Halloween, he got to dress up in a funny or scary costume and go out trick-or-treating, which meant he went from door-to-door of strange homes saying trick-or-treat, and he would get some kind of morsel of candy, fruit, or snack. He loved to wear a mask or paint his face. The Halloween holiday was also gaily celebrated in school with costume parties and refreshments. If he received no trick, the tricks, I'm sorry, if he received no treat, the tricks surfaced in writing on people's cars or house windows with soap, throwing eggs or turning over trash cans or some other prank designed to the hassle households who do not provide treats. Interestingly, all of the holidays, the black boys was taught about contained various aspects of fear and the supernatural. They also instilled certain ideas and imprinted Western values in his head, all rooted in expressing gratitude, honor, and respect for white males. Additional to the festive holidays, during his first few years of school, he learned about Abraham Lincoln, a former American president who freed the slaves. His little brain was too undeveloped, along with his short attention span, to give him any long drawn out political explanation about L. Abe and his real position on slavery. No one told him that Mr. Lincoln made a strictly political decision that public relations wise awarded him the misleading credit of freeing the slaves. This was the first major mention of slavery he ever heard of. Excuse me. He was programmed with the impression that Negroes was a happy slave and needed the master to take care of him. He was told stories about how slaves sang while they worked and danced all night. Nothing was mentioned to him about how Negroes became slaves and where they originally came from. He was just taught to be grateful that old Abe for setting the slaves free. Lincoln, a tall white man, but nice as Johnny Appleseed. Christopher Columbus was always highlighted for a masterful discovery of America, which he accompanied in 1492 by sailing across the ocean from England in three ships supplied by his queen. It was quite easy to teach the black boy about boats floating on water with a great captain at the helm. Teaching black boys to be grateful to Columbus is one of the worst travesties of misrepresentation. Yeah, excuse me, misrepresentation ever inflicted on him. Telling him to respect and honor Christopher Columbus Day is like teaching a Jewish child to celebrate Adolf Hitler Day. It is that far from the truth. This falsified historically incorrect information is still taught to the black boy today, despite seriously scholars announcing that Columbus introduced Wesleyan. Wow, I'm just all tongue tied. Give me a second. Let me get some water. That's the walls are doing this live. You get to hear me mess up, but let's keep going. 
this falsified historically incorrect information is still taught to the black boy today despite serious scholars announcing that Columbus introduced Western colonialism, capitalism, and slavery on North American continent. Furthermore, studies show that he was already entering a few pre-Nazi theories on the natural supremacy of the white race, proceeded to inflict genocidal practice on the native Indians who were already set up and functioning in their own civilizations when Columbus first docked. Old Chris was eventually debunked in jail for his unscrupulous politics. Every notable or famous individual that the black boy was introduced to, be he real or imagined, was the personhood of a white male. Thus, he completely nearly Plus, he completely nearly 13 years of public, oh, I'm sorry, he completed nearly 13 years of school, public school education, acknowledging that every commendable action or intellectual victory was attributed to the white man. Nobody ever taught him during his formative years of the black man's place in history and his record of achievements. The he had no knowledge of his own people or their contributions to math, science, medicine, and art, or art. His own parents rarely mentioned black history to him. His church did not place blacks in the biblical context, and it was subtly suggested to him that being colored a Negro or black was something bad and undesirable. If somebody insulted him by calling him black, he was always ready to fight about it. He wasn't black, and he didn't want anybody trying to say he was. Black was a bad word only used in anger and hatred against another Negro. This system of loading the black boy's brain with foreign data put into motion an adult black male who left home to confront the world and his destiny with absolutely no knowledge about his past, with the white man's name, an Anglo-Saxon religion, and a memory dedicated to Western values that would plague him for generations to come. This international cover-up laid the foundation for the confusion and displacement that would eventually lead to his present endangered classification. The ultra-critical years between 1940 and 1990 produced the current per perilous legacy of the black man, his son, and his grandsons. Mm. 1940 to 1990. We gotta start looking. I'm gonna start looking through those years. 1940 to 1990. This book is about the damaging effect of the brainwashing that the black man was subject to during that 50 year period. And it represents the first contemporary debriefing session he has had since slavery. that I guess that's the end of the chapter at the end of the chapter she has this 
uh, graphic, I guess. out loud for those listening i just showed it on screen but it says settle on an identity identification is the first step towards unity original asiatic black african afro-american people of color african-american negro colored niggas nigger who are you? Now, that is the end of that chapter. I'm going to talk about what I noticed and the difference between right the writings of how she wrote these. Because, um, like I said, I've read both of these already. And I didn't really notice the first time I read them. But I noticed this book is a little thicker. So it got a little more detail in it. Which is very interesting because just the dynamics of how uh, men and women hear things and learn things and how um, in the Black man's God. She don't pull no punches toward um, the directness of the faults of the women. Um, she doesn't do any like over explaining of adjectives to describe to paint a picture and uh, I think that's because with uh, men we're taught to learn a little direct we go through the world interacting with other men We are taught really early to deal with the consequences of our actions or inactions. So we are forced to have to finagle through all of the wording and description and the adjectives and all that bull jive and get to the point. And with this one, um, although she didn't miss the points that she was getting to, I noticed she did a very, she was very intentional about describing the plight of the black man to the black woman, because this is the black woman's God. I'm just reading it aloud. Um, a lot of these things I can identify with that went on in the first chapter. 
I, I kind of stopped to stop reading to, to to validate some of the points she made. But I mean, they all sound true to me so far. If you needed validation from a black man, I didn't see anything that I could refute in there. To be honest, I know that uh. Every black man ain't raised the same, so it ain't absolute. And the uh, money figure was in 1992, so making a little bit more money now, but I think it got more to do with inflation than anything. That man said. I'm an hour into this thing and I actually read a whole chapter. I would have had to break that down into three chapters. Glad I didn't do that. I'm going to try to get through all the chapters one by one on this. Again, if you appreciate what I'm doing, reading, if you a truck driver or if you have any occupation where you're allowed to listen to something and you chose to learn or listen to a me read a book shout out to you man uh if you are listening like like that's free uh you can share that's free you can subscribe that's free so you'll know when i'm actually reading live and you can comment with me with the stuff that i'm reading that would be I can't wait till that happen to be honest And to be honest It's probably not going to happen until I start Doing commentaries About the stuff that I Want to do But I kind of want to read A couple books first To To set up a foundation Of My platform To be honest I'm not in a rush to do it, but we are here. If you made it this far, thank you. Let me play some sounds. If you see the thing scrolling at the bottom of the YouTube, it has my YouTube. I mean, not not my YouTube. It has donations. My donations. cash app and my Venmo. Yes. My cash app is yes. dollar sign Cole twelve twelve. My Venmo is at Univercole U N I V E R C O L E. Also, scrolling down there is the link to my solo link. That is solo dot to slash backslash Logic X. You know the Logic experience you are tuned into right now. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Like I said, appreciate the queen. She been resurfacing on the internet as of late. I heard she wasn't doing well during the COVID times, but I think she's doing better now, which is great. 
I love to hear her speak. That's like, to me, who Atlanta want to be. But she'll get there. Shout out to Ayala. She says black women are out of order too. And that was 2008. She said I was still out of order. So maybe I need to read this. You feel me? Maybe we want to do another part after this, but I'm gonna I'm gonna say that, say that, cause I need to think about it some more before I put that idea out into the world, cause it's big. Yeah, but thank you guys for tuning in to another Cold Logic experience. Another one. We are out of here. Hello, motherfucker. Shout out to King Carlo, producer of the year. Shout out to the Squadcast Network. Shout out to If You Made It This Far. Shout out to Free Game Flight. Shout out to Road Wheel. Shout out to Incredibuds. Shout out to Don Tease, Mix Masters, Night Logistics, Chicken Fire, The PTA Life, The Artist Touch, Humbly, Bald, All our squad. We we gonna get y'all aboard the squad cast network sooner or later. Y'all just don't know it yet. But we out. Thank y'all for tuning in by the way. This was great.